Welcome to Buy the Books, the podcast helping business owners navigate the complex world of business, tax, and bookkeeping. Now, to the owner and president of Secline, Lindsay Klein. Thanks for joining us, everyone. This is Lindsay Klein with Secline, honest, accurate bookkeeping performed on time, and your host of Buy the Books. I'm here today with Alex. Let's see if I cannot butcher this. Van Tarakis. That's perfect. I got it. Yes. I had to practice that, would you say, maybe 30 times yeah. before I said it correctly? <laughs> Best part of my day so far. <laughs> So Alex is the founder of the Vant Group, which we all now know why you have abbreviated it to the Vant Group, a Dallas-based mergers and acquisitions firm. Thank you for joining me. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. So you and I are going to do a pair of episodes, actually. You work on mergers and acquisitions, so we want to do one from the selling perspective, which is going to be this episode, but then we're going to do one from a buyer's perspective. And I'm really interested to see what you have to say on this. I am personally very interested in this topic. Wonderful. I have mentioned that I am interested in purchasing, acquiring other bookkeeping firms Mm -hmm. and that's one of my growth strategies so i want to get really good at this in practice so what tips do you have we're talking about the selling side in this episode so we're talking to business owners that are thinking about selling or really should always have their exit in mind i would think exactly exactly yeah great lead-in thank you so you know to to translate mergers and acquisition we help buyers um, and sellers of companies so if somebody has a business that they want to sell they'll hire us to do evaluation and do a marketing process which I'll talk about later but that's kind of the 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 two big services that we have um, and sell side is is what we've predominantly been doing for 23 years okay um, so that's what your your main focus that's is, exactly is the correct. selling okay exact, we, we started doing uh, some buy side work um, which I'll talk about in the buy side episode but basically there's a lot of buyers that are out there looking to buy a business and if you don't really know the process it's very dangerous it's similar but obviously a little bit harder. Well, not obviously because real estate's difficult, but it's similar to a real estate agent uh, okay. that, um, that that you hire to to look on your own accounts and to make sure you don't trip up. And so buy side work is great, but sell side is, is, is helping business owners that have worked hard in their business. You know, owning a business is a very, very difficult process. And people that have never been a business owner, it's very hard to understand how difficult it is to run a business day to day from human resource issues to finance to sales to Mm -hmm. marketing. So luckily at some point in their career, they're able to monetize and they're able to sell their business. And that's really where we help them out is during that sell side process. I remember seeing um, something, I think it was on LinkedIn, and I can't remember the exact percentage, but I think it said only 6% of businesses for sale actually sell. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. I'd love to look that up. It's, it's 
bleak, but it's not that bleak. Okay. Um, well, for you, it's probably not because you're probably really good at getting right. those those businesses well, I that. For ready us, for sale. Yeah, for us, it's actually ninety percent, which is very very high in the industry. I think the average is about forty percent, somewhere around there. Okay. Wow. That don't wind up. So selling. why is it that most businesses that are on the market or at least looking for a buyer? Yeah. Why do they not sell, in your opinion? That's a great, great question. Um, and, and it is interesting because that's what makes different M&A firms uh, have higher or lower success rates is how much do you really understand what it entails to buy and sell a mm-hmm. business? Because if you don't inherently know what those important factors are, you can't guide your clients and right. you can't answer the question that you're asking me. Um, primarily, people don't plan to sell. That is the number one reason. That is the reason, the foundation of all of the other reasons. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of other reasons. So a lack of planning, basically. A a lack of planning, um, not, you know, a day before or a week before, you know, somebody wakes up. And and this happens a lot. You know, I can't tell you how many uh, clients we've had that just woke up one day and said, I've just had it. I've had enough. This is my day to to go and sell. Okay, great. You really... So it usually comes out of some source of frustration, mm-hmm. which I would think whatever that source of frustration is, is lowering the value of their business because it's a frustration that a buyer is not going to want to have either, right? That's a, that's a great um, um, analysis. Yes. Look, as, we, as I spoke about at the beginning of our episode, owning a small business is extremely difficult. And... It's like juggling a bunch of balls and you're constantly worried about one of those balls dropping. Mm. Now, they're up in the air 90% of the time or 95% of the time. But every once in a while, when those balls start dropping, it makes business ownership very difficult, which leads to probably the number one reason now. Well, the number one reason why people sell is because of uh, age and health issues. That's the number one issue. But the number two or three is probably they're just... They're just tired of balancing the balls up in the air. So your primary question was, what are the reasons that would make a business not sell? Lack of planning is by far the number one reason. Number two behind that um, is you have a, 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 a business and not a company, meaning... Mm. You're the chief cook and bottle You have washer. a job, yeah, yeah. not a business. You, you have a glorified job. I yeah. usually say hobby, but I think job sounds better. Um, but yeah, you And just no one's looking job. to buy a job. And nobody's looking to buy. Now, those small businesses do get sold. We don't work in that market because it's a different animal. Our, our businesses that we sell start from a million and up to probably a hundred million. That's kind of our range. The job businesses are the you know hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, maybe three hundred thousand dollar businesses, uh, where look if you don't like working for the man, you know buying a small business is that that's how I got it. I basically was working. I was a typical buyer. I didn't know what I was doing. I thought I knew everything. <laughs> I, I wanted to buy a business, um, and I thought because I was good in corporate America, I was going to be great running a business, just like all my buyers that talk to me now are, and I get to snicker at them and tell them. <laughs> Tell them the truth. Um, but yeah, I didn't want to work for the man anymore. And I decided to just buy a business. And, and, and my criteria was I want to make it just as at least as much money, if not more, as what I'm making now. And I happened to find a business that, that did that. And it was great. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of buyers for, for businesses in the market today. 
Um, but listen, I don't want to go off track. But it sounds like the the root issue there with your number two is that the owner is too involved in the business. There's yeah. not enough separation between business and the owner. Right. And when that happens, uh, the values of those businesses are low because really the intangible assets of the business are the owner. Right. And when that person leaves, he doesn't have a, a management team of sorts or probably a procedure manual of some, so, of some sort to have a new buyer rely on that would make the value of the business be higher. So correct me if I'm wrong. The most valuable businesses out there are those where the owner is completely absentee. Oh, yeah. So, you know, the dream, the unicorn that, you know, all buyers call me and ask me. And again, this is out of naive, naive, naivety, 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 maybe I can't say that word very well myself. That sounds fancier Um, of, you know, a a buyer thinking, and this was me too, that you're going to buy a business and it's going to run itself and you're going to sit back and collect checks. You know, I bet you half the people that look for a business really think that uh, if they haven't been looking for a while and gone through the process. Which those businesses do exist. Yes. Oh, they absolutely do. Yeah. Um, but those so are building pre- that kind of company right. is going to be the most valuable asset to sell. Right. There's a book called The E-Myth um, that really talks about franchises and franchising businesses. But the concept is exactly the same. In E-Myth, basically, somebody could read your manuals and come in and without having any knowledge of your business, run the business. Mm. If your business is like that, to your point, that is the premium of all premiums. I mean, cash flow is the most important, but if it's a non-financial kind of intangible part, then absolutely having a business that runs itself because there's a lot of things that can go wrong in in a business running it day to day and in a business Mm -hmm. transfer. Um, So the more... Uh, procedures and policies and management you have in place, not only the more likely are you to sell, but the more value you're going to get on that sale. Absolutely. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Because I can think from a perspective of a buyer, which I am, I'm Mm -hmm. I'm actively interested in looking. I want to find a company that the owner is already pretty removed from it so Mm -hmm. that the clients aren't emotionally tied to that owner because then that's when you get the attrition, right? Because if they find out the owner's leaving, well, if the owner's leaving, I don't want to stay here. You have some of that situation. Um, So if the owner is pretty much already removed from that, you kind of take out that risk factor there. Also, when when you talk about systems, if their systems are already in place, their employees are already used to following the systems, and I, as a buyer, can actually look at the systems and say, okay, how would this integrate with the systems we have in place? Mm -hmm. But if there is no written system and no one's used to following a system and there's inconsistencies everywhere, then I'm going to be thinking, okay, how much is it going to cost me to basically train these employees and train these clients to operate on a system. You and know, you might as well just start your own business or buy a franchise. At, at Touche. Yeah. 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 No, I completely understand. It's almost like when you're car shopping and you have options out there, but one person, one seller has all of their maintenance records and right. you can tell this, this car has been babied. They've taken care mm-hmm. of it. They've put it in the garage. It's really the same with businesses, yeah. right? Yeah. You can tell, yep. you can tell the business owners that have really taken the time to 
baby their business to mm-hmm. to make sure that it was well run and rel- right. working like a well oiled machine. Yeah. So it really shows a difference, you know, from from that seller to one that you can tell. And I'm sure you've seen these all the time where there is left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. Nothing is written down. Everybody is doing everything differently. Mm -hmm. That's just basically managing chaos and probably why they want to sell because they're just frustrated. (laughs) So, you know, the businesses that we're talking about right now are probably 50 percent of the businesses that are out there as, mm. a, as a rough percentage and those businesses you know there's a you know that's an entire segment that we could spend talking about how do you fix those businesses uh, um, but I think the true value comes in the helping the other 50 percent that have established and those are usually our clients mm. the ones that have kind of established you know if there's a top 10 things needs lists you know they have probably seven of them or more Mm. um you know i'll I'll give you a perfect example of a good client it's a construction related business and um it's a 17 million dollar valuation so it's a pretty good size company nice and for them yeah very good for them and the owner has been uh, sick for quite a while now no kind of let me pause for a second. Yeah. That owner of that $17 million company, did he start from nothing? Mm-hmm. So here's a, a guy, I assume mm-hmm. one owner? Mm-hmm. One owner. One owner that started from nothing and built a construction company mm-hmm. and now has an asset worth $17 mm-hmm. million. Dollars. Like cool. I just want to highlight that because yeah. most of our listeners, I think, are small business owners. Yeah. And think about that. Someone that started with nothing and now has a $17 million mm-hmm. asset mm-hmm. is what he has grown from probably blood, sweat, and tears. Right. right. Especially in construction. That's a very difficult industry. To yes, yeah. absolutely. Sorry to interrupt no, you. Go okay. ahead. So he got sick. So this guy has been sick for a year plus. And um, to show you how unimportant he is to the business, his business has doubled in the last two years in a row. Wow. Just as we were negotiating with these buyers. So the price actually originally was like $9 million. And then the deal was delayed for a while. And during that period, it just kept increasing and increasing. Wow. We actually went back to the table and got him $17 million instead of nine. Fantastic. Which was great. Um, but that's an example of if your business is run so well that even when you step away completely, it not only continues but thrives – Yes. That's what everybody should try to create. Yes. Now, look, that's very difficult to do. You know, you have to find good at a foundation, good quality employees and partners and teammates to work with. And that's getting well, more. Well, I would say even more important than that would be the systems. Well, true, true for sure. Um, because you can have the best employees in the world, but if you don't have systems. Right. Yeah. No, no, totally true. I'm saying in terms of what's harder, and it's very hard to put systems in, but today, uh, in these times, it seems very difficult to get good quality employees. You know, the labor rate, the unemployment rate is very, very low, Mm. which is great, uh, but that makes, you know, trying to find good quality talent, even if you pay market or above uh, market, it makes it so difficult. Um, But yes, the systems are equally as important because 
you you could have the best employees and not be able to manage them right. without a system base. Absolutely. Well, and I think there's a little bit of despair that's involved with that thinking, well, I don't really have any control over not being able to get good employees because if the market, if they aren't there, they aren't there, right? Mm -hmm. So I think of things as, okay, where is there a kink in the system? How can I cultivate an environment where I can attract and retain good employees, Mm -hmm. right? The things that I can control. And so, okay, even if you're paying above market, as you mentioned, Mm -hmm. you may not attract good employees. So what are some intangible things that employers could do? That's what I think about. What are the intangible things that I could do to attract talent and keep that talent? Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a lot of things these days. um, If if you have a business that can work where the employees can work remotely, that's Mm -hmm. a huge advantage Mm -hmm. in today's world. Yeah, the world has shifted when it comes to... Absolutely. Now, obviously, for something like construction, that's not an option. They have to actually physically be on a job site. But you'd have to really get creative, I would think, in the in the construction mm-hmm. arena to think, okay, how can I attract good workforce and keep that workforce? Because right. I know there's a lot of turnover. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you got to get creative, I would think, to, to come up with some ideas that don't necessarily hurt your bottom line, right. but are valuable to your employees. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen any of these guys doing anything creatively to do that? You know, I can't put my finger uh, on an exact incentive that they've set up, but I'm in a business owner entrepreneur group called Entrepreneur uh, Organization EO, or it used to be YEO. And most of my business owner buddies are offering more money, better perks, probably some creative additional perks, which by the way, all those affect your bottom line. Um, So as labor is hard to find, once you find the labor, it's really making profits tough for these businesses, mm-hmm. which I think is why a lot of business owners are, are trying to exit right now. I will tell you, as a, a side note, this is the busiest that my firm has been in 23 years. Wow. Now, some of it might be that we just, our name has gotten out and whatever the case may be, but we're getting three times as many leads as we used to. Wow. That's far you know that's more than one standard deviation that's too many away wow. to, to, to think that it's not just us there's got to be something going on in the market and my other M&A friends that own firms they're saying that it's it's busy as well so you know there's been talk of the baby boom generation that was going to ultimately mm. sell well when I got in this business 23 years ago they were talking about that baby boom generation so I think that that's kind of happened I don't think that's a predominant reason, but I, I, that's a reason that's being talked about quite a bit. Um, the other is, uh, the, empl- the like we are talking about, about the employees. That's the one I'm hearing the most. I can't find employees. I can't retain employees. Um, I have all the, and this is what's depressing. I have all the work that I can handle. But not the people to do it. But not the people to do it, which is a very interesting dichotomy in, in what's going mm. on, right? I mean, think about that. How have you seen someone successfully break through that hurdle? Or have you seen anyone successfully break through that hurdle? Through the employment hurdle? Yeah. Um, you know, there are some great business owners. I think it's a big reflection of who the owner is and what the culture is. Yes. I think culture has a lot to do with it. Um, and I'll tell you, I own a business that uh, 
pre-COVID had a great culture, family-oriented. Um, I mean, it's still, a, don't get me wrong, it's still a good business, but it's not the same feel that it had before COVID. And COVID came and, you know, layoffs had to happen, clients left, new people come in during chaos, you know, and now three years later you look up and your your business doesn't look like it used to, mm. you know, which is really tough because uh, not only is it financially weaker than where it was, it's culturally weaker. Well, it's mm. easy to fix the bottom line if you got a good culture. But, it, but if you got to work on the culture and getting the culture back up first and then having to focus on build the business, that's a lot of work. I'm an example of a business owner that would want to sell right now for the exact reasons that I'm seeing in my own business, um, which I think is what kind of makes us a little bit unique at the Van Group. We all have bought and sold about 20 businesses. Wow. And we've been in the buyer seat and the seller seat. And, you know, we know the emotions that go on for a seller. You know, if a seller's able to finally get to the table and close, you know, the emotional roller coaster between making the first call. Yeah. It's like making a call to get a divorce. Yeah. Right. Right. Divorcing your business. Right. And then there's ultimately a day where you have official divorce papers. Right. And a lot of money. Um, But that's a big emotional. uh, Right. uh, All of it is. I mean, when you own your own business, sure, you're not supposed to be the business that you have created. Your identity should be in something else. Your identity most of the time is in your business, Mm. you know, whether it's good or bad. And actually, it'd be great if it was just down the middle, because when it's too good or too bad, you know, then you get used to one or the other. Right. Right. And then you have to be careful of the other that comes. But, you know, talking uh, main points about what is makes these companies more or less uh, successful to sell and what factors. The one we haven't talked about, which is the most important, is cash flow. So mm-hmm. cash flow is a very generic term that could mean a lot of things for a lot of people. So I'll tell you all the definitions that kind of mean the same. Uh, EBITDA, adjusted EBITDA, owner's discretionary cash flow, seller's discretionary earnings, and in plain English, how much money an owner makes from the business in totality. Okay, That number to make it its most basic to do a valuation, you multiply it by a, a multiple. Small businesses that we're talking about are gonna be three to eight times. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. And then once you figure out that, that's that would be the value, that's the quickest way to kind of determine the value of the business. So that's why the cash flow is the most important because everything that we're gonna talk about, procedures, policies, employees, good customer base, all of that is great, but they all lead to one thing. At the end of the day, it's to maximize mm-hmm. the profit of that business. Right. It's not to minimize and and not uh, try to do the best that you can to keep the business um, running well. Because there's a lot of people that, you know, you ha- there's a distinction between making the right amount of profit and then not investing enough and making a bigger profit, but over time, that business will fall apart because you're squeezing every penny out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, make sure you pay your people well. You know, make sure you pay your bills on time. The basic business fundamentals all have an effect into cash flow and ultimately value. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, cash flow. Um, 
or or adjusted EBITDA, but I'll, I'll call it cash flow for now. Um, in the space that we're talking about, most of the the, the listeners are probably going to have a hundred thousand of cash flow on the on the minimum, um, and let's say there's up to ten million dollars on the maximum, somewhere around there. Each of those values has a different multiple. It's like drawing a pyramid. The lower you are in the pyramid, the lower your multiple is. Mm. And there's a larger amount of businesses that make less than 100,000 than make more than 100,000. So if you make 100,000 and you want to value your business, it's probably going to be worth 100 to $200,000, somewhere around there. And then as you go up incrementally, maybe two to 300,000 at a time. So let's say you're at 500,000. Depending on the industry, you could be anywhere between three times and six times. So if you make a half a million dollars of cash flow at the end of the year, you, you could potentially be valued up to $3 million. I think that's pretty awesome. Wow. That's fantastic. Yeah. And then as you get into the millions, the multiple sometimes go in the 10 plus range. Um, but in the space that we're talking about, most multiples are going to be somewhere between three and six, two and six times, somewhere around there. So for you to have a 90% success rate in getting your clients' businesses sold, I would imagine you are offering some level of consulting to these businesses to get them ready to sell. Is that a correct statement? That's a great question. Um, we, the, the direct answer is yes. But depending on what the need is, we may help them or we may outsource them to a provider. Okay. So, so for, what are the what are the first things you're looking at when you're taking on a client? What are you doing looking at telling them to get them ready to sell? That's a great question. That's a great question. Everything starts from working backwards from the number that they want. So, so the first thing you're asking them is how much do you want for your business? Um Yes. And how often is that number never, less than what they could get for it? Oh, Has it never, ever been? No, never. It's, no, so it's, it's always more, always more always than what more. it's worth. Every time. Every time. I, okay. I've never, uh, as a matter of fact, I just got an email from somebody telling me that he met me five years ago through an attorney and they're ready to sell and he's very reasonable on his multiple expectations. So this conversation that we're having about multiples, he's obviously done some research and saying he's reasonable. Okay. I'm curious to see, you know, to your point, how uh -huh. often are they realistic? Yeah. What his version of reasonable okay. is, uh, <laughs> as, an, as an example. Um, so is your approach to that, okay, let me help you get to the number you want? Right. So here's, so here's how, I'll tell you how 90% of our conversations go. 90% of the people that we talk to want to sell in a short amount of time today, meaning they, mm -hmm. they would say, I'm ready to, to, you know, I know it'll take 60 days, wh whatever the shortest amount of time is, that's when I'm ready. That's 90% of the people that come to us. Wow. With those, so the 10% that, that, that have a longer time frame are a direct answer to the question that you're asking me, but I, but I also want to talk about the 90% because the process of getting them ready is, is the most, is, is, is so the if they don't part. have much time, you don't have the time to get them to that number is basically what you're saying. That is that is correct. The 10% will walk them through and we'll do evaluation for them and we'll do that for all 100% of them. Uh, getting evaluation done is, the, is, is like figuring out what your baseline or your foundation looks like. 
Okay. Um, the 10% that don't want to sell right away, you know, let's say 10% of them think the value is great and they'll sell when they're ready and 90% of them, um, it's a very direct conversation because the valuation is also an assessment and it'll say these are the 10 variables that are increasing your value and these are the 10 variables that are decreasing your value. Mm. And it's a lot of what we talked about, right? Employees, cash flow, do you have assets, how active are you in the business? All of these variables kind of get put in this, uh, you know, valuation brew, and then we mix it all up and we kind of come up with a value. And I make it, I joke that it's hocus pocus, but half of the value is not on numerical data. Mm-hmm. So you've got revenue, you've got cost of goods, you've got your balance sheet, you've got cash flow. 50% of the value comes from that and 100% of valuation experts and people that do what I do will agree on a value only based on that. The key is to figure out how to value the other 50% and what carries weight and what doesn't carry weight. I'll give you a great example. Uh, one of a friend of mine has a large staffing company that does extremely well. I think they do 40 million in revenue a year and like make $5 million of profit. It's an amazing company. 90% of their customers are one customer. Oh, yikes. That's a big detriment, a big risk. That has nothing to do with revenue, right? The revenue is the same. The, the cash flow is the same, but on the 50% that's subjective, now you have this new variation. Yeah. And how much, and this is where kind of the expertise comes in is, okay, well, we have to know how buyers are going to process that. Right. And determine, A, how are they going to come to us with an offer? That's a huge risk. And what would the value be? And we have to kind of anticipate that in our valuations when we have meetings talking to our sellers but never having talked to buyers because we haven't been engaged yet. So that's kind of what the 50% of the subjective comes in or things like having a client that's 90% or... So um, what would be the highest percentage of revenue that you would want to come from one single great, customer? Great. You know, in an ideal world, everybody would be 1%. But in a realistic world, as long as you don't have more than two people that are over 20%, then you're okay. Okay. And most companies, you know, depending on the type of company, uh, obviously a retail establishment or a restaurant, they're never going to have customer concentration. But a construction company will. Mm. A home services company that mows your lawn, they won't have a customer concentration. But if that lawn service company is a commercial lawn company they may have two or three huge customers. Mm. So that's why, you know, we don't So it sounds like one of the biggest things they could do to increase the value of their company is go grow their customer base to get revenue Mm -hmm. from other sources. Right, but they're of the 90% that want to sell right now. Ah, gotcha, so So they don't have time to do that. So so really where we add value and what makes us sell 90% of our deals is we anticipate as best we can from the experience that we have, which is substantial, what are the buyers going to have issues with? Sellers hate talking to us at the beginning. <laughs> because you're, you're nit- pulling apart all the problems, right? Because right? we tell them, say, listen, we wouldn't be here if we didn't think, if we both didn't think that you had a great company. 
But now we have to talk about the elephants in the room so that you understand not coming from me telling you that your business isn't a good business, but what I'm telling you, I'm going to hear from buyers right. and how we need to respond and how much you need to factor that into that's life. It's going to affect your value. If you have a customer that's 90%, it's going to affect your value. Well, and I would think the inverse of that too, if 90% of your supplies are coming from one supplier, that could be a problem too. Mm-hmm. And do you encounter that very much? Uh, not as much because we, those are more from manufacturing facilities. And it's interesting. They take the chance on the customer side, but I've re- never really seen it on the supplier side. Interesting. Um, that is interesting. Um but that could be a problem from a buyer's oh, perspective because there again, it's anytime I would think, correct me if I'm wrong, anytime the risk is elevated, the value is decreased. So 100%. if you see all their eggs on the supplier side or the customer side are in one basket or largely one basket, mm-hmm. there's a lot of risk to that because right. if that supplier goes under or that customer goes under mm-hmm. or chooses to work with somebody else, Mm-hmm. You're up the creek without a paddle. I'll give you another story. We had an engineering company that was being sold, and let's say they had six key designers. Five of them were 63 and over. Oh, wow. Yeah. So immediately, you know, you know, and that's a very difficult conversation to have, but that's life. And a yeah. buyer buys a yeah. company, they want their workforce to right. be there for a long period right. of time. So we got ahead of it. And we allocated and put in the contract that the seller would pay for a a retained search firm to go and find replacements for all five of these people if they retire within the next three years. And they were going to pay for it and kind of manage that process. And that was part of our marketing that we went in it and we got ahead of it. So instead of a buyer coming to us and saying, well, look, I'm really worried about this business. You know, these people aren't going to be here. We came up with a plan. Some of the plans are easy. Like to Mm. me, that was easy. Uh, Some of them are more complicated. And again, it depends how much time you have to plan and how, how well the business does. The stronger the cash flow, the more... um, They'll overlook those things. The more they'll (laughs) overlook things like that. Well, cash is king, right? And cash can fix a lot of problems. Cash, yeah. <laughs> sales, co- sales fixes all problems. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, but now that you mentioned the employee factor too, there could be a lot of risk in the allocation of duties amongst your employees. Mm-hmm. If a lot of the work is reliant upon one singular employee mm-hmm. and that employee is the only one that knows how to do things, mm-hmm. then there's a lot of risk to that yeah. too as well. Yeah, here's another one. What if all of your employees have been there less than two years? Oh, all new. What kind of company are you buying? That that happened on mm. one of our deals. So there's, as you can see, when you sell a bit, and that's why I keep saying that there's a split 50% objective, which is financials, and 50% subjective. All the things that we're talking about are one of thousands of things that can be wrong in a business. Mm-hmm. So you know, if you tell me what the top 10 are, I'll say, well, show me the business. I'll tell you what the exact yeah, top 10 are. Right. If you want the general top 10, you know, that's not as exciting as the little things that you would never think. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I'll give you a good example. A company sold their business <laughs> and the website, they had borrowed, I'm, I'm air quoting for those that can't see us, 
the pictures for their websites from other sites. Oh boy! And they didn't. They basically lost their website. Oh my goodness! Well, the value of that was um, it was uh, exceptional <laughs> because the business relied on its website for almost everything that it did. Oh my goodness! Wow! So, so again, there's things that you can't even plan for. Sometimes there's things that come up after a sale that don't get disclosed before the sale. And most of the times it's not even malicious. Mm. There's just things that, that happen, um, which goes back to why there's usually about a you know 50% fail rate in buying a company. Mm. It's, it, you know, we'll talk about that on the buy side. Uh, now it doesn't matter, it doesn't really matter so much for a seller because they're gonna get their money up front. I mean, obviously that's not what they want. Uh, but there's a myriad of reasons why that could happen. Right. And I know on our deals, it's rare. Uh, we still have failure rate on our deals. There's no question about it. But it's nowhere near the 50%. And I feel really good about that. Because we do, you know, you, you, you talked about, you know, we talked about the 90% of the people that are ready to sell right now and kind of how we manage them. You know, the first thing is to figure out evaluation to set expectations. And then the conversation goes one of three ways. Hey, that was more the point that you brought up than I thought it was worth. Let's get ready to list. You know, I've never had that happen. <laughs> uh, you know, this is about kind of what we wanted, or we can work on this if you explain more things to me, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe that happened. Or this just even isn't close. And then they go back to that 10% where they thought they were ready. And I've seen that happen before. You know, somebody that wants their, you know, that needs $5 million to retire, and I tell them their business is worth $2 million. Well, they may have been ready that day, right? But now they're ready to get back to work mm. and try to make more Build money. It up. Yeah, which, by the way, very, uh, uh, very infrequently does that work. Really? Yeah, because if you could have done it, you would have done it. Mm. Is a, that's kind of the model that we have, and I know that's that's hard. But I've owned a business for myself, so I know when I, you know, when I tell a buyer when I was selling my business, well, we could have done this and we could have done that. You know, I would hear a lot. Well, why didn't you? Yeah. Well, because yeah. it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to make the changes that are needed. Um, but yeah, for the 90% that are ready to move forward, you know, where we're, we're very successful in, in selling their deals is we hit them with what we call the truth. Not what, not the fan, you know, not the sugar coated, not the fantasy, not the fantasy <laughs> but, and the truth from a buyer's perspective. And we said, look, in our experience, these five items here, we don't have any time to fix these. You know, we're going to have to just deal with these when a buyer comes along. These 10 items, though, we can do something about them because, you know, it usually takes about six to nine months to sell a business. And then we give them that list and then we just kind of work and guide them. Um, and the economy's really helped as well. I mean, there's a lot of for sellers out there right now that are listening. Um, it's always. You know, in 23 years, I've honestly never seen a time it was bad to sell um, because there's always more buyers chasing deals. Mm. There's always corporate America guys and ga and women that want to buy a business and, you know, have a starter business. There's always successful business owners that want to expand their business and buy other businesses. Then there's always going to be private equity firms that have millions of dollars that need to be invested and deployed to go buy a business. What it comes down to is what's your value going to be. Mm. 
which comes down to what your cash flow is, which is why I stated earlier, really at the end of the day, cash flow is all that matters in the overall value, mm. is the largest factor in the overall part of the valuation. And you brought up a good point. The higher your cash flow, the more people will overlook you know, yeah. sins of the past. Right, no, which know? makes sense. Yeah. So I feel very blessed that um, at the forefront of me deciding that I'm going to do my business full time and quitting my job, I met Kurt Coyne very early on, who is a business broker. Mm -hmm. And I remember one of the first things he told me is always start with the exit in mind. Mm -hmm. And he said, whether or not you plan to sell your business, you're going to have an exit. Yeah, right. At some point, right. you're going to have an exit. It may be because you died, you mm -hmm. retired, you passed it on to your family. Whatever the reason is, you're going to have an exit. So if you start with the exit in mind, then you can set yourself up to have the most valuable business possible when that exit comes. Right. And so I feel very blessed to have gotten that advice at the very beginning. And so I started doing things from the very beginning with that mindset of I'm going to build the most valuable business that I can, whether or not I ever sell it. So you can rate me here on some things that I've done right. in my business and, and tell me how, how you think I've done with this. Um, one thing is what you brought up E-Myth um, systems. So that has been very prevalent in how I've structured things with my employees is always having things written or in video format. Mm -hmm. um, my, my ultimate goal, which we haven't gotten there yet, we're working on it, is not only to have everything in a written checklist format in our software, which we do have that much done, but also for each item on that checklist to have a vi instructional video along with it demonstrating how that task is performed. So, and for us in the in the bookkeeping realm, a lot of it we can systemize. Right. Everything that we do for our clients on a monthly, weekly, quarterly, annual basis is oftentimes the same across the board. There are nuances with each client, but by and large, we can systemize all of that and have it recorded. So we've done that. Um, one thing I have really thought about too is what from an accounting perspective since that's obviously the realm i'm in somebody that's looking to buy or purchase an accounting firm what things are going to be important to them yeah being remote mm -hmm. is huge and we have the capability of doing that obviously uh, because then they can run the business from anywhere mm -hmm. they can hire employees anywhere and so that's been very prevalent in our company, Absolutely. not only for increasing the value of the company, but also retaining great talent. Mm -hmm. um, in attracting great talent, I have basically come into it with the mindset that I want to be the employer I never had. Right. And so every decision I make in regards to my employees is from that perspective, because I hated working for other people with a passion. And so I'm always looking at it as, would I want to work for me? 
Um, so I've I've created a culture where essentially my employees have the flexibility that they would if they were running their own business. Mm-hmm. They get to set their own schedules. They're working from home. They don't have to call me and ask if they can go pick up their kids or go to the doctor or whatever they need right. to do. They can do their thing and work at two o'clock in the morning with their pajamas if they want to. Um, so that has enabled me to attract great talent, a great team that really cares about their job, cares about the company. Um, Aside from that, um, a big thing that I've heard, especially in the accounting realm, is pricing. I was just going to say, all of that sounded great. How much are you charging? Is it in line? And are you making the profit that you need to be so whenever I meet with other accountants, whether it be yeah. other bookkeepers or with CPAs or what have you, which I meet with a lot of those, I'll ask them if they've ever bought or sold a company before. And I'll ask them if they have, what do you know now that you wish you had known at the mm-hmm. beginning? And I kept hearing this same pain point over and over from people that had purchased an accounting firm. Well, we didn't realize when we bought the company that their prices were so low. Right. And so then we had to raise prices. Mm-hmm. And of course, when you raise prices, here you are a newcomer on mm-hmm. the scene. The, the client has no relationship with you. And the first thing you're doing is right. saying, I have to raise your price, yep. and which causes attrition. Mm-hmm. So they were finding that a lot of the clients were leaving because they're like, well, if you're raising my prices, I'm going to go find someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I kept hearing. So I have taken that to heart to say I need to make sure that my pricing is very competitive or even above my competitors so that if and when right. I need to sell a company, I can show them you would not need to raise your prices at all. Hopefully my prices are more than what they're charging at their own firm. You know. Right. So those are some things that I've implemented just keeping the end in mind absolutely even though i have no intention of selling in fact i'm wanting to buy but just taking that advice to always keep the end in mind because you never know just like with the construction guy Mm -hmm. i could get sick at some point i may be incapacitated to where i can't work and need to sell on the fly but since i've kept the end in mind the whole time i can be ready a lot faster than someone that hasn't kept that in mind for sure and if you run your business that way to think of the end in mind your business is fine-tuned and is running better and it's more enjoyable absolutely to, to have that type of business and to eliminate the headaches in advance absolutely so even you know even if you say i'm never going to sell my business which a lot of people say that they say i'm going right. to die at my desk right. i can't tell you how many people have said that <laughs> Um, you still need to run it as if you're going to sell it for maximum value. Absolutely. Well, and even if that is the case where you you end up keeping it until you're dead, you still, I would think, me personally, I still would want to have the most valuable company possible because either that company is getting passed to my children or the profit of the sale is getting passed to my children. So I would want to leave as valuable of an asset as possible for them. Mm -hmm. So even there, if your exit is your death, you still want a valuable asset to leave behind. So this has really been great. Wonderful. I've learned a lot. Good. And like I said, this is a topic I want to learn a lot about. So 
Well, that's wonderful. I can't wait for us to do our buy side. Uh, tune in. Yes. Uh, because to next a, time. It's a completely different perspective. Yes. Um, <laughs> instead of trying to maximize value, we're telling buyers how to minimize value. So Ooh. It'll be okay. To to. Well, if somebody wants to reach out to you and talk to you about M and A, maybe on the buy or the sell side, or just get some advice from you, Absolutely. how can they reach you? Um, you can go to our website, uh, thevantgroup.com, thevant, V-A-N-T group.com, or give us a call at 972-458-8989, and I think I'm extension 102. <laughs> um, we wrote a couple books on the topic. Um, oh, nice. What are your books? One's called Exit, and one's called Entrance. Oh, nice. So it's not, uh, we didn't get too creative. Ex- <laughs> Exit is for sellers and entrance is for buyers. (laughs) Nice. Uh, But if you mention that you heard it on this show, I'll uh, email you a free copy of a PDF. Uh, Oh, nice. Very nice. Thank you for that. And thank you for joining me. Thank you. And thank you to everyone that's listening and watching out there. This is Lindsay Klein with Sucline. Honest, accurate bookkeeping performed on time. Thank you for joining us, everyone. Until next time, have a great week. By the Books is presented by Sucline. Honest, accurate bookkeeping performed on time. For more information on Sucline services or to get a hold of Lindsay, visit Sucline.com or email info at Sucline.com. The information provided on this website and podcast does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. Instead, all information, content, and materials available are for general information purposes only. Information provided by Sucline may not constitute the most up-to-date legal or other information. Listeners should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter and should refrain from acting on the basis of this information without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information contained herein and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation.